Today I sat down with Guillaume Letuel. I'm sure I butchered his name, but that shouldn't deter you from the fact that everything that we talked about is everything that every entrepreneur really needs to consider when building a business from avoiding burnout to building structures to picking your niche and how you can actually focus on growing a brand. Uh, Guillaume really talks you through it and after 15 years of experience growing this business, it's safe to say he's really lived it and just the way in which he breaks down complex problems and just how calm he is realistically in his position and his insights, uh, I took a lot from it. So like I say on every episode, enjoy it. Welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I talk to world-class professionals on what it takes to scale successful businesses. I dive deep asking questions to people who are running unicorn businesses, to raising funds, to buying businesses, mergers and acquisitions, IP and patent law, what is to manage performance management. I mean, the list goes on. The idea really is how do I create knowledge and learning for you guys listening in and of course myself getting the floor with people who I, in many cases, would never dream to share a room with. Before we jump into the episode, I've got to give a special thank you to our sponsors. Firstly, over at Global Wide Advisors, a leading digital consumer products investment bank focused on optimizing the sales process. An incredible team, always happy to pick up the phone and educate you or anyone about the sales process and what you should really consider and can obviously help take you to market or even acquire businesses. I ring them for just about everything these days. Us over at Multiply Me, we are the end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines, helping find better talent and onboarding them effectively. And last but not least, Escala, our management consultancy focused on process improvement, where we help build better systems for your business. That's all the ads you're gonna get from me, ladies and gentlemen. The rest is all about learning. I hope you really enjoy and get as much out of these sessions as I do sitting face-to-face with some of the world-renowned leaders in their respective fields, asking them the tough questions that they're not often asked. Guillaume, it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you sitting down with me for an episode of Successful Scales. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So... Like I said, really happy to have you here. Uh, We had a really interesting conversation the first time we sat down and, you know, just looking at the way in which you approach business, growth, uh, and just your general standpoint on sort of the businesses you're looking to help uh, really resonated with me. And so, like I said, really happy to have you here. Um, Before I butcher anything that is what you do for work and your experience, let me hand it over to you and let me let you do a better job than I will. All right. Well, my name is Guillaume Nitzwell. I'm a CEO and founder of Mage Montreal. So I've been an entrepreneur for 14, almost 15 years now. And uh, I've, I've grown a business from my basement. So at first I was alone as a freelancer with one assistant, part-time freelancer, and that grew into a, a digital agency, a nice uh, seven-figure success. And I'm pretty happy to, to be sharing, uh, you know, from my personal experience today with, uh, with the audience. And, you know, it sets you up, it puts you in a rare category of starting from the, the basement uh, to, you know, maybe you could be a Google or a Facebook or an Apple one day, you know? I did not have a garage back then. Oh, that's <laughs> no garage, <laughs> just the basement? <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, yeah. So th- there's a lot to, to, to discuss there for sure. For sure. So I'll let you lead. 
for sure. Well, I mean, 15 years in entrepreneurship, um, you know, and I think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, not battle with. That's not the term I want to use here, but more so like when you look back and you say 15 years of entrepreneurship, like what what is your definition of stepping into that entrepreneurship uh, experience? I know that for a lot of people, uh, and I don't know if this happens to you, but, you know, I was even asked today, like, at what point did you feel ready to go and step off onto your own and, you know, take on that entrepreneurial leap and head down that path? So like, what's the starting point for you 15 years ago? And, and what did you come from into jumping into it? I did not feel ready. That's a simple answer. Uh, but uh, I, I basically turned down from a full-time job to a part-time job to start at the same time uh, working on this next project, found a first client, and then I, I, I quit. That was it. So it was a few months of transition like that. And then first client, let's go. I had no clue even like the pricing on the market, whatever. So I had even went on another website to request quotes from other people, like a general uh, portal where people do bids. So uh, then I would average out all those quotes. And that was my first quote uh, to my first client like that, because I had no clue for market it was just an averaged out uh, quote from competition. Yeah, got it. So, so that that was sort of the step. So you actually took on the, you took on the approach. Of, well, I mean, it's always risky, right? It's always a, a stressful consideration, like especially having a salary to going part time and then you know really diving into it. Like, was there a was there a catalyst? Was there a point? Was there a moment where you said, right, this is the the right time for me to take this on? Like the business model itself, yeah. is that something that yeah, really yeah. appealed to you? Like, what was the driver? Well, there were, there were a few things. So yes, in terms of timing, uh, could have been even more mature, but I had some really great pieces in my portfolio. Back then I was a professional visual artist. So then I, I had with uh, you know that employer, then back then I had first job for Wonder Brothers through that employer and for uh, Discovery Channel. So then I had those two amazing portfolio pieces having worked on like Movie 300 and whatever. So it starts an early career in my early 20 really well let's say to then present this to other potential clients and and it was a transition so at first it was a mix of web services which was my official uh, education and uh, also um, all kind of visual movie visual effects things that uh, was actually what I was working on and then it was half and half at the first few years of the business. And eventually uh, with a go totally of the visual effects stuff and focus exclusively on being a, a web agency. And like most web agency, I did a lot of mistakes when I started like offering too many services and stuff like that. And then we, we focused more and more and more and eventually we became exclusively an e-commerce agency. So we do design development, system integration. And by having that focus, uh, even that was not yet enough. We had to go even deeper in the focus and say, we're going to work with only one platform. We selected Adobe Magento. Could have been a different platform. Which platform you pick is, is your personal resonances, but it doesn't matter that much. But it's a concept of not diluting your expertise. So like every programmers that I have on my team, they are Magento experts because previously we had issues that say with... Uh, offering WordPress and Magento and some custom development and PHP. And this was giving so many different workflows, so many different procedures. It's extremely difficult to scale. Uh, so actually accepting even something that back then seemed like a nice contract and say a $50,000 custom software development project is 
in hindsight, an, a hindrance to the growth of the company because you're diluting your focus, you're adding more standard procedure, you're not up to date, you have to hire more staff, and then you end up that you only have one or two guys that knows each of the technologies that you're working on. It's not scalable at all. Yeah, you just dive or you just sort of touched on so many key points that I think almost, well, I don't want to say all entrepreneurs, but a lot of business owners experience and, you know, definitely fell victim to the same thing as well. When we were starting Escala, for example, we were, you know, and the advice I got from a really successful uh, entrepreneur who's actually listed a number of businesses on the Australian Stock Exchange, um, he said, focus on getting to 5 million in revenue, niche down and be specific around your offering and then worry about everything else, you know, drive to that $5 million valuation. I still don't know exactly why, not valuation, but, but revenue growth. And, and then come and speak to me. And that really resonated. And it's kind of a, a line. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective, because you said you picked Magento. It could have been anything, but that was the focus where you were building, um, being specific, not being not diluting sort of how many SOPs, standard operating procedures you would build. What was the moment in time or that decision to, A, also moving away from the visual effects, like what happened? What, what created that very very focused decision around the agency? Well, it was desire to, you know, have an extremely high level, a uh, skill level to desire for mastery, you know, just, just impossible for, I think, a human being in a field of technology to keep up with so many technology and then client would ask, and then I would not be up to date on the latest thing that just happened in that tech and whatever. So I said, there's no way it has to, we have to let go of every other distraction, focus on just one technology. Back then I had picked Magento, uh, I believe Magento One at the time was the best on the market. Now it evolved. There was no Shopify around. It's a different market anyway. It's from big commerce and so on. So Magento One was really awesome uh, versus the Virtue Mart and the OS commerce. It really came in as a, some fresh air and a, really an amazing platform. So that, that was a long time ago. And then we, we focused on Magento and, and grew that way. How, how long have you had the agency for now? Um, well, it's my first business. So uh, 14, 15 years. Yeah. Wow. I feel like you'd be the kind of guy who might know this stat. Um, and I have probably said this on like five episodes and I never go back and research, but any idea what percentage of businesses last 15 years? Well, what I've heard is uh, depending on the industry from 50% to 90% will close in the first five years. So, and, and the national average, at least for Canada, was somewhere around 50% stay alive after uh, five years. But that's the average. Some industry, it's, it's even more drastic. Um, then I don't have statistics further than that. I do know some other interesting stats, though. For example, less than 7% of businesses ever make it to seven figures. So if you do reach seven figure, you're in the top 7% of businesses from a measurable point of view, from a revenue, top line revenue point of view. Wow, that's uh, an amazing stat. And I'm glad that I did pick you as the person who would have some interesting stats. That's actually higher than I would have anticipated that 50% of businesses make it to five years. That feel 50, is that, was that the stat? Well, that, that, that's correct for Canada. Maybe it's not the same everywhere else, but there are lots of support programs like uh, to help entrepreneurs to start a business that they'll give you like, if you're accepted by a committee and so on, they'll give you like the minimum wage for free for a year. So you can focus on creating that business. If you present the proper business plan and all that. So there are all kind of subsidies and programs that will help that 
there are fewer businesses that die. And even that is still too big. Like 50% should not be the case. I mean, imagine how great the economy could be if businesses and startups could be supported even more than that. You know, and I remember in the first few years of the business, it was terrible. Like uh, had to, because I started alone. That's a huge difference. And it's something I would not recommend. <laughs> You know, starting a business is way too much work for one person. Invest a lot of time in finding a partner, get a properly drafted agreement from a lawyer, from partnership agreements, and it's it's worth it to invest the time because it's just too much work for one person. If you're two or three, it's even better because you will complement each other. You will support each other. And when you're alone, it means that I had a, a slower start for the, you know, the, the progression curve, because there are so many skill sets that you need to learn as an entrepreneur. You need to learn about, about HR, about hiring, about sales, about marketing, positioning your product, your service, your offer. Then there's all the technical technological stuff. If you have that kind of product or service, there are so many fields to know about. They're just crazy. And you need to learn faster than your business is spending cash so that you don't go bankrupt. That's pretty much a startup phase, you know? So uh, in the startup phase, it was, it was terribly difficult. And the bank hates you when you look, oh, you don't have a job anymore. Oh, you're an entrepreneur. Huh. Yeah, yeah. They don't like you at all. No <laughs> loans, no loans for you. No, uh, no, that's it. And then the, uh, it was self-finance, you know? So it's, it's, it's a real like, self-startup and self-made story. And it was extremely difficult, that part. And then all the credit cards and the max, you know, in the first few years of the business, it was extremely difficult. Like then I go for the, see the bank back then, even for like a simple car loan, you know, 270 bucks a month for a used Civic in the startup year and they declined me. And then that's pretty much the only thing that like my family did to help me in the startup year. My, my mother co-signed, she never paid for it, but like she had to co-sign, but it gives you an idea like, how tough it can be on in the entrepreneur in the startup phase. Now it's different. Once you you're you have great businesses running, they run after you to, to give you loans. And it's a very, very different dynamic. You know, you can get the banks to compete against each other for all kinds of things, uh, the commercial real estate mortgages and whatnot, you know. So uh, it, it's feel, a very different thing. I feel like uh, I feel like this touches a, a hot a hot spot for you that you are frustrated by the lack was, of investment or the lack of consideration oh, for the, for the startup for the start and you're right because here's the thing oh, if, yeah. if you're a great entrepreneur and you've got ideas for days and you can actually make things happen you know why wait until you've proven it out you know as in why wait to that point where you've built this seven figure business you're actually super profitable like there should be a mechanism that actually enables those who have great ideas because there's probably not enough people that exists in the world who are actually going to drive ideas and new business opportunities forward. So, yeah, I mean, uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. I feel like this is something that is uh, close to your heart, mate. Well, yeah, for sure. We're talking like, of course, all kind of social program to help businesses start. And you can see it in the broader economic sense that you don't have to be uh, all the way to, left political point of view to, to have that it's going to help the economy if you have more of those businesses that survive like that 50 percent of businesses die in the first five year is not good at all for your country's economy you know so if you can provide better support for this number to have a higher success rate imagine if instead of 50 percent you could reach let's say even 75 percent because it's natural some people are not made to be entrepreneurs it's not the right psychological fit and it's normal that some of the businesses close but if you could reach that to be a far higher number 
you would create so many more jobs in the country and so on. So, so I believe there are some program. There's a lot of program in place. I already tried to do a lot of things, but there were lots of gaps and holes and in places where entrepreneurs do need help when they're starting the business. And, and there could be a lot more done there. So, so on that, on that notion, um, uh, or rather you talked a little bit before about uh, being a solo Panor, uh, or starting yeah. a business by yourself. Do you have a you, do you have a business partner? A bar, uh, no, no, no. Well, I could say my wife now, and that has helped a lot in the business. But uh, she's just helping a little bit here and there in the business. Um, so no, at this point, I mean, uh, when there's a skill set I don't have, well, I hire somebody else now. But like, you know, that part is is done. It's more if I start a new business venture, another incorporation, then I would. I would find a partner for sure. And then it depends how you split the things. Maybe I'll take a majority stake and then, uh, or, or just a proper incentive, a proper incentive uh, like let's say Richard Branson does this. Yes, he has 400 companies and he gives a proper stake in each business to each new one that he starts to some guys there so that the business runs itself without him being involved, you know, just overall strategic uh, decisions there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that model, um, you know, it exists and it will continue to evolve. Like something I'm very interested in is the incubator model. Like I've started to really think about the businesses that we've built with Multiply Me and with Escala. Um, what that means as a resource to prospective businesses is really helping you skip many stages. So, you know, if I think if I ever started or when I start the next business, realistically, I'm going to deploy Escala into it, and we will build out the processes, SOPs, the market cap and potential, understand the entire viability of that business, and then we'll staff it with Multiply Me. And effectively, you know, we go again without having to really start from from scratch. So, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel strongly about the fact that if someone had given me more support, and I think that there's a lot of um, mystery around what it is to to start a business and what it is to being owner, operator, et cetera, um, you know, things might have looked differently from an early stage. What do you think during your sort of journey um, from starting the business now, you said you just hire someone to fill in the gaps that you don't have. You've gone through the hard yards, right? You're around for 15 years now, which is an incredible feat. And, you know, I don't know if people sit and tell you that, but, you know, I will definitely tell you 15 years in a business to take it from nothing to where it sits today is impressive. Um, I guess my question to you is like, what keeps you motivated at 15, at the 15 year mark in a business? What, what keeps you going back for more and wanting to put, push this for another five, 10? I mean, you know, is there, is this an infinite game mindset for you? Are you uh, yeah, for- uh, it's pretty much an infinite game mindset. I like that. You hear Simon Sinek talking about that stuff. Uh, it is an infinite mindset game. Yes, for sure. So it's person. It's a journey of personal development as well. Yeah. You know, there's so many, skill set or i'm going to call them qualities and virtues that you have to develop as an entrepreneur it is so vast so wide you'll never master that all those skills but still it is so challenging especially we're talking your years of the startup let's say but even nowadays that you cannot be a a jack of all trade and master of none you have to be a jack of all trade and expert of some or master of some for this to work so it is extremely uh, demanding there and, and there's so much room for personal growth all the time so uh, it's 
it's something that's always interesting. And if this business, and you have to adapt all the time. So you have to reinvent uh, yourself and, you know, market changes, new technology comes out. There's the new version of the software that comes out and new competitors in the market, new possibilities that comes in with AI. So you can start looking into this. So of course, one important thing is to not get too overwhelmed with the day-to-day operation to have some some room to breathe uh, as the CEO and founder and to be able to, to look at what's next, what's coming, and to make sure that you have some time to get excited again about a possible project you could do or a modification of, of your trajectory or let's say, okay, what, what if we start adding AI? Say, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. E-commerce with AI, no, uh, I'm interested. Let's, let's dig into that, you know? That's that's a really sound advice for anyone listening is to to building that area of space so that you can focus on on the future. I mean, you know, it's very rare. I don't know if I've ever spoken to someone who's had their business for 15 years and gone through, you know, 15 years of personal growth and the changing landscape and, you know, has maintained. So for me, I'm very curious, you know, I'm in my second year here with with Multiply Me and with Escala. So I'm really still at the starting line, we'd still be very much, um, despite, you know, where we sit and being a seven figure business and all of that stuff, like we're still in many ways at the startup phase. Um, you know, things continue to break. I'm probably working more in the business than on it than I should be in certain aspects. I'm not building enough space. My question to you is like, how much has your reality changed over the course of the different stages of the business in time? Changed so much. And one thing that I could say it was was critical is sort of accepting the stage at which I was. And what I mean by this is let's talk again, super early startup in the basement and all that. And then you go through some, let's say, business networking or whatever. And you see those some other successful businessmen that are all there with a luxury car or whatever. And in my early 20s, I had a huge change of mindset since then. But in the early 20s, I, oh, I would want that. But, you know, like purchasing that sports car would be a major mistake when a few years after, uh, you know, when it was possible, because then you're, you're making decisions based on your ego. Like, why is, why do you need a sports car? You don't. You, but like your ego wants one. It's, looks prestigious, looks like you have success, uh, it's going to look good with your friend, whatever it is, like it's all ego based. And pretty much everything that you can trace as its root back to an ego based decision, that's a, a huge realization that it's a mistake, like you would give a robot the, the mission, let's grow this business into it's a, a successful business as rapidly, but as sustainably as possible without uh, causing any uh, human burnout and by ethical means and so on. And each time the robot would not make the decision uh, that is ego-based. It's that simple. So it, it applies for pretty much everything from like the fancy office space and the uh, high-rise tower and everything, all that stuff, which I did test for one year. Say, hey, what if we get that, you know, um, show-off office kind of thing? Uh, will it get us better client? Well, we had client that resonated with this and that were more in that category and just the extra stress of that higher uh, payment monthly you know we, we didn't make more money in the end it's like we increased the business but we didn't <laughs> we're not more profitable so then after that lease was over we just went back to a normal office. very good looking clean office but not the not that kind of tower office you know yeah. So, and, I, and I think as well, like when you start to make those decisions too, it also depends on like, what's the kind of business, right? Like a lot of the, 
you know, VC backed companies. It's all about how do we attract great talent and who knows, right? Is it actually the right talent that you want? Who's going to look at the shiny object syndrome of, you know, how good this office is and, you know, like also understanding where that profile sits in, but you know what, back, back to your point that you sort of skimmed over around the robot, which I really liked, you know, whether it's ego or whether, whether it's something that can actually be sustainable. Um, you talked a little bit about burnout and, you know, I think it's one of those topics that, you know, I'm going to take a stab uh, at it. I feel like a lot of people running businesses experiences experience it from time to time. I know for me, I have this like cyclical experience, like every almost six months now where I'll push, 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 push. I'll burn myself out. I'll be like, okay, take a step back start to prioritize what's important and, you know, and almost like rebuild. And, you know, I feel like those cycles, if you don't get onto them, become shorter and shorter. And then, you know, that's, that's the end of it. Have you, have you ever experienced that burnout experience and, you know, how have you, how have you combated it? If so? Yeah, for sure. There are cycles where you, you might get the fatigue, tired, or like you're saying, like it was part of when I started the business, I was sort of burnt out, but just from my previous job. So that can happen in job yep. as well. And, and then I took some months off and started the business. Um, so, so that was a part of the transition there with that part-time and all that. So what I've learned over time for this, that there's nothing magical about it, but there are a few things that will greatly help. So for example, I do believe that there's not such a thing as work-life balance in the sense that it's work or it's life. It's just life. And sometimes you're doing personal tasks, sometimes you're doing business tasks, but it is still easier sometimes just mentally to categorize them as, as work and life so that you can have that little grid and start to structure your thinking and your planning around that. And there's not a, a very large uh, separation between your personal life and your business life. You, my business always grew or didn't grow at the speed at which I was growing, basically. So I was always the number one blockage, even though I had other employees or contracts, whatever. I've always been the factor, the faster I can grow as a person, as an entrepreneur, the faster business grew, always. That's pretty much what happened. And I believe this is universal. So your personal side cannot be neglected because it will impact you on the business side. Like I believe the separation between business and personal, there's just a, like a tiny wall. Yes, you can poker face it a bit. You can uh, you know, be careful about how you think and all that. But if, if you have a tsunami on either side, it's going to go over and the business can affect your personal life. Business can affect, personal can affect business and so on. So, so the personal side, I'm not going to deep dive too much in it, but you have a few like major buckets or categories of fusion. And you have to score a minimum score on each of those. And if you're not, then your life is unbalanced and you need to rebalance it. And you can categorize this any way you want, but like a very simple thing you may hear like the four Fs of stuff like that and say, you're, some call it fitness. I just call it health, you know, uh, then your family, your friends, and then your faith, if that's applicable. Otherwise you could just call this section personal improvement and uh you know giving back feeling of giving back to community so something uh, bigger than yourself that you're you're helping and it feels great when we can give back so it's a bit what i'm doing with the podcast <laughs> you know absolutely so uh yeah go ahead i was gonna say to, to your point um you know when i look at when i'm performing at my highest or at my best it's usually like I'm meditating regularly, you know, I'm talking about 10 minutes a day. I'm journaling in my gratitude journal. I'm sort of taking a second to really think through. I'm 
in the gym three, four days a week and I'm walking the dog and, you know, that blurred line between personal life and business life, you have to have every aspect of it. And also, you know, spending time with my fiance and, you know, family and friends and all those things, like at some point something has to give. And unless you can build some semblance of balance throughout that entire ecosystem that is your life, it becomes very hard to, you know, it becomes unbalanced. And as a result, you know, even the minor tweaks and the things that, you know, wouldn't have otherwise gotten to you start to really build up. And so, yeah, to your point, the four Fs or I saw a really interesting post yesterday and I'm not going to try and repeat it because I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, uh, uh, you know, it was entirely aligned with that. You, you really have to play, you know, the full game here. You can't just step in on, you know, 80 hours of work a week and focus in on that because at some point uh, something's got to give. Uh, you'll, you'll get tired. So like that approach, let's say uh, I call it like the, the Rocky approach. You put on the, the music, the eye of the tiger and you just go and, you know, yeah. but that, that, that is like sprinting, you know, you cannot sprint a marathon. It just doesn't work, you know? So, uh, so it's okay to have that eye of the tiger approach, the Rocky approach, but there's a time for that. And you need to switch also to have enough rest and to also switch to even the, what I would call the opposite mode of the, the Rocky approach, which is to punch your way through, you know, is, is um, that sometimes they're very difficult situation to handle. Perhaps like grief is an example of this. There's no punching your way through to this. This is uh, on the contrary. What I find the best way to live it is to accept it to just live it, to let it pass through. And you're talking about mindfulness and meditation. I practice meditation every day. Also, I, I believe in it. You know, I see the, the mental benefits for it, for sure. And uh, that's part of, um, of how I believe some things unblocking the business for me is I got out of my own way. And this is part of the, those, it's not imperfect, those exercises, not magic, but you can, for example, help, a lot of there's a task you hate and you're procrastinating on it or when you start doing it you just you just despise that task and let's say managing an excel with thousands of lines it's like ah you know i really despise that task but then to just like give meaning to that effort or struggle will change a lot in your ability to cope or to do it so this meaning that i've decided to give is like okay i'm developing new skills i'm developing new qualities and virtues I'm becoming more structured and improving my analytical skill and improving my structure skill. And I'm working through this enormous Excel, which I dislike, but by, and it's not perfect, but it can help you maybe like a 30% or, or so. And you're going to forget about it, just like meditation. And you sort of bring back your attention on this concept. You're, you're giving a meaning to that effort. Why are you doing it? This is one thing. And the other concept is sort of work on stop resisting it's not perfect again student of the game not a master of that thing but you'll have mental resistance as to ah, i don't want to do this i hate this and you know, i want to postpone this or whatever and, and you work on to be aware to stop resisting and just to to let go so that's the opposite approach of of that uh, you know uh, rocky approach of punching your way through to, to stop resisting let's say if you're if you're running like jogging you can have the mindset of keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing or at one point you can switch your mindset to this is painful i'm aware that it is painful but i'm i'm going to keep running 
and the body knows so and i have to remind that <laughs> you know, every every moment while i'm doing my jogging uh, this is painful but yeah i've decided to do this and this is this is what i'm doing and i'm not fighting that feeling and just accepting it you know and i believe in entrepreneurship you can go way further with that sort of acceptance approach versus the punching your way through approach that is that is great advice and spoken really you know f- for me going through it and having my rocky moments versus my moments that are sustained and and, and sort of going through it it's very apparent um, a that you're built for that infinite game Simon Sinek and that you have experienced things you know you've gone through a lot of these challenges maybe you know over the last 15 years and moved into that state of consciousness where, uh, it's controlled and it's decided and it's a very, um, you know, it's no longer a labored approach. It's it's calculated and structured and you're finding ways to sort of unblock the areas where you get stuck and bogged down in the, you know, 10 million line Excel doc that I personally hate doing. Some people love that shit. Uh, it's not me. <laughs> um, put me on a podcast like this and have an interesting conversation at a high level. I'll take that 10 times out of 10. But yeah, as in from from my perspective, sitting here and just sort of listening to how you break these things down, very, very apparent to me that these are all things that you have lived, experienced and moved beyond. And I think that uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs going through it, and let's talk about the 50% that don't last more than five years, if you try and take on that approach where you think you can absolutely handle everything from the ground up, always you're, you're not going to make it through and it, something will break at some point. And, you know, it, it's, it's very easy to, to, to pack it all in and sell the business or move on. But um, yeah, that doesn't strike me as, as your approach or your position at all. Um, just very cool to see sitting on the side of the fence that I am um, you know, that, the, that if, you, if you believe in the process and you trust in it and you show up every day and you build those structures and you do, you know, every aspect of it, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and, um, you know, no one's sitting there and patting you on the back for working 80 hours a week, realistically. Um, and 80 hours a week is, uh, again, another thing to get away from as fast as possible and that got tr- stuck in that trap. Uh, you know, so um, eventually I've put a hard line, six. At six, I close the computer and I walk away, 6 p.m. So uh, sometimes there can be, of course, exception. You can have a little bit of flexibility. Maybe one day in the week, you might need to stay a little later to finish something because you gave your word. And of course, it's more important to respect your word. But it's a general way uh, of trying to keep some balance and the weekends are off for me. So how long, but how long did that take you as in how long did, how many, how many years did you go through the process of, you know, to use your analogy of the Rocky approach or how much time until you really built that structure? Like you turn your computer off 6 PM, four nights a week, effectively. Uh, it probably took a decade, but that was more my personal progression and process and learning and all that, then, then like you can do this right away. You can uh, know the, the moment that I decided to, okay, I'm going to close that at six. It, it was, uh, I was behind on work for maybe like two months or so. And then after that, it just helps with uh, better prioritization because there's always more stuff to do than you have time or that you have people available to do it. Uh, it it's always the case for the business. So it helps you to really identify the key points. And this is a major difference that say uh, I've seen when I was hiring, let's say 
more junior project managers versus the senior project managers, or if myself, I'm managing one of those large projects with several hundreds of thousands of dollars of web development, it, it was, they were super busy. They were super professional in their way of acting with a client and all that, but they wouldn't make the wrong decision as to what is a, a, a core pillar here that you cannot skip that step. You cannot skip uh, you know, writing a very complete project plan from the initial budget proposal and writing detailed user stories and acceptance criteria is called the definition of done. You cannot skip to send approval, let's say for your work sprint for this. It's everything is structured and written, uh, signed off by the client. You know, there, there are a few key steps to project management that if you skip that, it's gonna blow up in your face or you expose yourself to great risk. And it was sort of making the wrong choice on how to spend your 40 hours. It was the main this, the difference between the more junior and more senior project manager. Yeah, great advice. And it actually brings me to, to a point where, you know, when I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the way in which you break down how you operate and, you know, the, the efficiencies that you create and the rule-based systems that you create for yourself, you know, they say that when you look at a, a company, often it takes on the personality of the, the CEO. And so I'm, you know, even more interested to hear more about the agency. And I think anyone who is listening in as well, uh, would probably love to hear like what how do you run your projects what what's your ideal client like how how do people engage you I'm always fascinated also coming from the agency background you know I spent 10 years in it um, yeah just curious to hear more about the business sure so well what I really like is is really the the business aspect of things. So naturally I'm tending to gravitate toward, let's say the, the mid-size or the larger companies so that there's a lot of, of business uh, discussion to be had, the, the business processes, system automation and how to improve the company and so on. So uh, typically would be clients, uh, you know, in the 25 to hundred million in range in, in uh, revenue and uh, sometimes a bit smaller also. And, and then we would put a, an e-commerce project for them specifically on, on Adobe Magento and Magento's strength is the customization. So if somebody's a, a small startup, don't even pick Magento. Like don't make the mistake of seeing a $100 or $99 team somewhere on Team Forest and some of those websites and think that Magento is a good valid option for a startup. It is not. Uh, it's made for the mid-sized corporations and the larger enterprises. And it's being pulled up and up market by Adobe as the years are going by. So a startup should go like big commerce or Shopify or something like that, software as a service. Um, so Magento is really about building that unique customer experience, highly customized, lots of thinking process in it, lots of system integration, lots of automation. So it's that's to be a, you know, fun projects for an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, even just you explaining like who is a fit and who isn't a fit, there's a lot to learn from that as well. Like, again, for early stage businesses, you know, most people make the mistake, like we were saying before, that they're trying to attack everything. You know, you found the sweet spot and, you know, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, but when I hear 25, 50, $100 million business, what that means is that they've gone through several uh, evolutions of the business. They're at a stage where they do have baseline structures and processes in place. And you can have a high level of discussion actually validating sort of the direction and the business itself. And, you know, when you're working with smaller clients, um, you know, I, I saw another meme the other day on LinkedIn where you work with a, you know, a small client, $1,000 a month retainer. And they're like, I've invested every last dollar of my existence into working with you. And like, 
calls you up 45 times a day and like the $50,000 a month retainer says that the invoice has already been paid. You know, that's sort of that. I think I saw the same uh, on LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one on LinkedIn. So I think, you know, what I draw on from that uh, position as well, and it's not for everyone, like people can focus on working with startups or understanding sort of where their target market is, yeah. but, but you've found, you've really found your sweet spot in your niche. Also understanding that the Adobe uh, platform is not geared towards startups. And so giving that free right. advice to someone, big commerce, WooCommerce, Shopify, whatever the other um, development platform is or, or SaaS solution um, you know, it, it, it also builds that layer and level of trust saying, well, they're not just after my money. They're actually trying to add value, whether they work with you or not. And so again, just, yeah. just resonates with me hearing sort of the way you outline what is a right and wrong fit for you. Yeah, it is extremely important. And uh, for example, I've turned down a $150,000 project, a web development, and they came to us with their full requirements built and everything. So, well, this is not a Magento project. Uh, you're actually shopping the wrong category. This should be an LMS project, learning management system that has a transactional aspect. So you're, don't shop e-commerce, shop LMS with transactional aspects. You know? So it's important that you, you pick the right clients for sure and that you have the right offering and you say no to a lot of stuff because it will allow you to get better what you're, you're working on, what you're focusing on. And even then it is still very challenging. So if you don't do that, it's just crazy. It just doesn't work. You know, uh, I've heard somebody say that the fastest way to go from zero to 1 million a year is to just have one offer marketed to only one persona for one year and just focus on just that and, and don't set aside if you'll reach a million or not depends on the execution and the offer how irresistible is the offer and all that but it is still the, the correct general idea to have as few scenarios as possible for example in our business when we're planning the project sales cycle and project execution there's there's one way of doing it and there's a second call next to it's called a detour sometimes you must have a little detour to reach the next step because the client might get to that exception case but as much as possible we have the preferred way everything happen and it's all mapped out and then the, there's a potential detour which is mapped out as well and then there's the learning management system how do you do each of those steps with a quiz about this and then the company can be structured this way so th this is something that definitely is uh, as you're scaling the business a learning management system is really great and not just videos that employees watch mm -hmm. but with a quiz at the end because people then will be way more focused when they listen to the video there's a quiz and there's a grading next to it and this way you're sure that people did watch it and understood a minimum of it uh, as you're training your staff to grow uh, the company again great advice and i know that we're getting to the top of the hour here so I mean, I feel like you've given so much value, at least for me, I'm, I'm really thinking through um, some of the decisions we make as a business in terms of, you know, broad stage approach versus very niche and focus. You know, we focus on e-commerce and Amazon, but sure, we have clients that sit in other uh, disciplines and, you know, that it's low hanging fruit and it fits inside of our structure. But I think from a, a marketing process improvement standpoint, you know, like you've sort of iterated throughout the entire conversation we've had is that level of focus and that desire to stay within your lane is the thing that really sets you apart while things might seem attractive and you know almost opportunistic the real opportunity is that single-minded single delivery mechanic focus and yeah turning down a hundred and fifty thousand dollar project because it isn't a right fit for you and you're giving that right advice i'm sure the relationship you have with whoever that person or company is is probably stronger than it ever has been 
Well, I didn't see them again after, but uh, they, they were referred by a partner. So for sure, uh, I'm sure I have a scored points, uh, <laughs> that everlasting points with the partner referring uh, them to us afterward. That, that's for sure. Uh, and when we're talking about people, I think there's another gold nugget we're throwing out there. Um, you know, a lot of companies, uh, I believe, wait too long to hire someone at HR because it doesn't matter what you're selling, building, you have people building this. And this is the most important thing of all, even though you need to standardize your processes and all that. And for example, most of my customers are uh, e-commerce businesses. So what we do is we build e-commerce websites for them. That's one aspect. And there's their marketing. How do they get clients for all this? But under Need all this is a foundation, the business foundation. It's almost the exclusive topic we've been talking about today, the, the business foundation. But it's typically what's blocking them more than a technological problem, unless they have issues acquiring customers. You know, so the foundation is something really important, and an HR person will help you to unlock way faster. So I was talking with some other company that I respect greatly. They were a software company, about 30 employees. And they were debating if they should have an HR person or not. They say, hey, it's overhead costs, whatever. And then I heard from another uh, person, a mentor. He said that if, he, if it was to be done all over again, he would hire at 15 employees when hire his, his HR director. And they say, oh, well, back then, say, cool. Well, uh, I have 14 employees. The next one could very well be in the 15th HR director. So that's what we did. The 15th employee was the HR director. So as HR coordinator, just to see how things go and then create to HR uh, director, which is an amazing decision because then previously, each time we wanted to hire staff, it was overtime for somebody, typically me or some other managers, to go in on the hunt. It was all kind of issues and was harder to also, let's say, uh, implement accountability in a more strict level because, well, we don't have anybody else for this, hard to replace and so on. So we could raise the bar, say everybody's an A player, no exception, because, well, Otherwise, uh, I have somebody who's going to go uh, on the lookout, you know. So, uh, and then this whole HR process was put in place in the company, uh, bi-weekly meetings with uh, the supervisor of the employee. And then there was a, every six months meeting with me and uh, all, all kind of HR process and profit sharing systems and whatever, like st structure the whole, structuring the whole human aspect of the company. It was, it was, it was a boon. For, so for sure, uh, I'd encourage people to get an HR person earlier than what you might actually think is the right time. Yeah, great, great advice and something that that was one of, uh, we started the business with an HR business manager uh, in Multiply Me, obviously being a recruitment agency, but yeah, it, it changes the whole DNA and dynamic when you can get and maintain and retain and attract the right people. And, you know, it's a lot of finicky work that gets done. So again, great advice. Before I let you go, Guillaume, I would love uh, you to just tell me anyone who is a right fit, how would they get in touch with you? Um, yeah. For sure. So uh, they can go on magemontreal.com. That's M-A-G-E montreal.com, which is a shortening of Magento. So magemontreal.com uh, can contact us from there. There's also my podcast. Uh, so magemontreal.com slash podcast. You'll find it from the website. I can easily be found on LinkedIn. You'll probably need to see the transcript, how my name is written. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can be found on LinkedIn. Best ways through the website. For sure. And we'll put all this in the uh, show notes. So anyone who's looking to get in touch, they'll they'll find all this stuff there. But always great to hear it uh, straight from the horse's mouth, as they say. Guillaume, <laughs> it was a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for taking time. And yeah, I've got lots to think about on the back of this. So uh, thank you. Thank you.